Now that's power. Tell me about it. I hear the name and I shudder. Mufasa. Do it again. Mufasa. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. The Lion King. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee S's. Our episode today is focused on the kinds of characters that we tried to portray in our quote today, which is your villain's chorus. Those characters that are there to support and be the minions for the main villain. These characters often overlap with our previous two episodes of The Secret Ingredient, if they turn on the villain, or comedic relief, like in the example we gave for the quote. They have this humor moment that makes it easier to ingest what's happening on the bad guy's side. Common examples of the villain's chorus include Wormtongue, which we talked about in the Secret Ingredient episode. Uh, LeFou in Beauty and the Beast. Yes, a lot of these are going to be Disney. (laughs) Pain and Panic in Hercules. In The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you have the Duffelpuds. You also have Flotsam and Jetsam in The Little Mermaid, who are Ursula's eel minions. You kind of have the minions, which are the yellow banana guys in Despicable Me. If you believed that Gru was actually a villain, then the minions are in that category. I mean, their name quite literally is one of the other names for a villain's chorus. Yes. Minions. And of course, like from our quote, we have the hyenas in The Lion King. This kind of character, the villain's chorus, is usually a group of minions that act for the villain, that go out and do the villain's biddings. It can be one person, like in the case of LeFou and Wormtongue, but it is usually a group of them. There are a handful of tropes in this, but I feel like, especially outside of Disney movies, these guys don't get enough credit. These characters can be some of the most interesting because we aren't necessarily designed to hate them, but they are acting against your hero. Some of the common tropes that go along with being a villain's chorus include being the deck of wild cards. These are the sidekicks that don't necessarily want to be sidekicks. They don't want to work for the villain, and they actually kind of want to overthrow them. But there's good job security or whatever. I feel like the hyenas in Lion King fall into this category because each of them would actually like to be in charge, but Scar is just more powerful than they are. Another common trope is the Lancer, quote-unquote, which is the second-in-command to the leader. You see this in Hercules with Pain and Panic, where Hades gets really annoyed and his temper flares up, and then he tells his minions, go do the thing so I don't have to, or because I can't. You can also have the Bastard Understudy, the sidekick for the villain who is planning to betray their master, planning on overthrowing them because they want to take the power instead. Sometimes they don't necessarily plan it, but they were never really a fan of the villain in the first place, so I would put Wormtongue in this category. In our Secret Ingredient episode, we talked about the dog bites back trope. This falls into that category. 
Another trope you're going to see is the vile villain, laughable lackey. That's the Gaston and LeFou, where we really hate Gaston. He's a sexist, villainous, evil character. LeFou is the fool. He is there to support Gaston, but to be made fun of and abused by Gaston. I find the representation of LeFou in the live-action Beauty and the Beast to be rather hilarious, because though he is still LeFou, he is also portrayed as smarter than Gaston. It's a very interesting play on that laughable lackey vile villain, where you have a lackey who is technically smarter, but still that's not the quality that people are paying attention to in the society. That's not the quality they see as being the best. One of the tropes that we were talking about earlier prior to recording was the law of the conservation of ninjutsu. When talking about the villain's minions, the more of them there are, the easier each individual is to defeat. Obviously, in reality, there's strength in numbers, but there's only a certain amount of ninjutsu allowed per scene. So if you have one ninja, they have all of the ninjutsu, they're going to be hard to defeat. Versus having 30 ninjas, you can just plow through them. You can also have the villain's course that has no choice in the matter whatsoever. It is either serve the villain or die. This is where you have Benny in The Mummy come in, because it's either serve him or die. This helps us kind of pity the character a little bit. That doesn't necessarily help us like him, but we don't hate him in the same way. Another way to use the this or death is to convert the villain's chorus over to your side. So we adopt Inigo Montoya and Fezzik into the little clan to help save the princess because we've conquered the mini-boss and now his troop of people become allies because he was mean to them. This is a good way to turn the tide for your hero character. The whole chorus can serve as your secret ingredients. If you give those characters a way out of the this or death situation. In your villain's course, you will often find very similar traits. They tend to be the yes man. They are there to serve and do the villain's bidding. That, an example of that would be the Duffelpuds in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. All they did was just echo. They didn't actually have a mind of their own. They're just following where the power is and trying not to be in its path. Another common trait would be the power doesn't always sit on the throne. The actual power behind whatever the villain is, is the chorus and not the actual villain. This is a lot of the case in political stories where the power actually rests in people supporting them, in people choosing to say, yes, this person has the power they have the ability to make these decisions. As soon as the chorus says, nope, we don't support you anymore, that character's power is gone. Another common character trait you're going to find in the villain's chorus would be the big bad wannabe. I'm in training to be an evil villain, so I'm working under this guy until I can branch off on my own and be my own evil villain. You can also have what is known as a hive mind. This is a lot of the time seen more literally among video games where you have masses of villain things to fight. They have a actual hive mind. In examples like Star Trek, you have the Borg, 
they are all connected to the Borg Queen who controls them. So it is a actual hive mind. Another trait you're going to see is the characters saying, well, the villain has a point. Again, this falls into a lot of the political of us versus them. Cersei kind of has a point in Game of Thrones. So she has her minions who support her and those characters are aligned with her because she has the political power. She has an opinion that they can align with. Let's now get into the archetypes of your villain's chorus. One of the probably oldest versions of a villain's chorus of that villain sidekick is going to be your Igor. The almost definition of the less than competent but always supportive yes man to the villain. He does a lot of the grunt work that the villain isn't really interested in doing. Another archetype you're going to find is the hyper-competent sidekick in, I believe it was the second John Wick. The deaf girl who actually posed a threat worked for the real villain that we didn't like, but Wick couldn't touch for various reasons. You can also have the star scream, which is the example from Transformers, where you have that sidekick who has made it no secret that they hate the villain, that they plan to usurp them, but they recognize that if I want to achieve my end goals right now, I need to serve and help this person that I really don't like. And of course, that secret ingredient. You're going to find a lot of your secret ingredients in the villains chorus because they have the best opportunity for changing the tide. In the end, your villains need to have a purpose. No matter what traits they have or what archetype they fall into, they need to serve a purpose to your story. And sometimes that's as simple as being cannon fodder, but it's always good to have them be useful in some way. Oftentimes, your hero only encounters the villain at the very beginning and very end of this story. So in that in-between, we need the villain to still look villainous. How they treat their minions is a great way to do that in storytelling. And this can even be true if they're afraid of the consequences of whatever it is that they're being ordered to do. The villain's chorus is being told, you have to kill these people. They don't want to. They have nothing against these people, but the consequences are worse if they don't. A lot of the times they are also used as the incompetent comedic relief, the ones that bumble their way through, that make mistakes, that the hero can easily defeat on their way to defeating the bad guy. So I urge you to make sure you as an author give these characters a reason to follow the villain. It's not just because they're there. It's because they will let us take over the Pride Lands and eat everything we want. Therefore, I'm throwing in with this guy. Because ultimately, that is the role of your chorus, is to support the villain. To build up their character, build up their standing, build up their reputation in some kind of way. There are so many uses for these characters. So I encourage you to consider in your work in progress right now, where they are, what they're doing, and how they fit into the grand scheme of things. And then when you take pen to paper, write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 